So that's great. It's always great to worship and spend time with the Lord. And, and we don't need an actual musician here. They didn't have musicians for a long time. Instruments were expensive back in the day, so I'm sure that they just sang. But uh, it's good to be back here on Sunday and in the Word. And we're picking it up in Genesis chapter 27 again this morning, and we're going to cover the whole chapter. Um, it's a lot of verses, but I think we'll get through it because um, it's one cohesive story. I didn't want to break it up. But the title of today's message in Genesis 27 is, Who are you, my son? Who are you, my son? Previously, uh, a few chapters ago, we saw Jacob and Esau at odds over the birthright. And a bowl of stew. Remember when Jacob was born, they came out clutching his brother Esau's heel. And he was named supplanter, a heel catcher. Um, and that continued throughout their whole life, as we're going to see today. Uh, we saw Isaac redigging wells, trying to seek peace in the land. And today we're going to see the famous story of Jacob and Esau and the birthright and what happens with Isaac uh, and Rebekah in, in as well. Uh, but to start off, Again, a few questions. What do you desire most in life? Is it money, fame, fortune, peace, 401k, kids, a relationship, I don't know, success? Has it come to pass? Has it come to pass? You know, we were singing that song about, I've come here with nothing, and I was thinking about except for what you're giving me. And I was thinking about, you know, all the things that God has given me, but what I really have in life is my family, is my wife, is you and my kids. And that's what God has given me. Everything else is nothing. But do you have the things? Have they come to pass? Have your dreams and ambitions been fulfilled? And if so, how have they been fulfilled? Do you feel like you've done it on your own? Do you feel like it was a gift or a blessing? And if not, what would it take for them to be real? What would it take for these things to happen? What, in your estimation, do you think would have to happen? Or what would you have to do? Do you feel like you're at a point in life where you have to struggle and you have to make it happen now because it's not going to happen any other way? And when it comes to decisions, when it comes to what you trust and who you trust, the way you live your life and the way I live my life, do we rely on the flesh or the spirit? As Christians, I think we'd immediately say, the spirit, of course. As unbelievers, you might say, well, flesh and spirit, what is that? I rely on what I know and how I know it and what the market says. I'd hope we'd all want to say the spirit, but perhaps if we're honest and slowed down and stopped and took a real consideration for a minute, it might not be as much spirit as we'd like. And perhaps we're leaning on other things. So with that this morning, Lord, we ask that we could just lean on you. Say, God, uh, don't lean on our own understanding, but lean on you, God, and you'll make all our paths straight. So, God, we want to lean on you always, God. We lean on you. We might be broken, but, God, we won't be crushed. And, God, I pray that you would break us this morning and help us just to be a vessel of your spirit. Just fill us, we pray. God, let your word go forth. And, again, we pray for that fire, whatever's going on, that you would be with that family and those people and those firefighters and meet their needs and care for them and let it be something that was easily quenched and, and not something that engulfs their whole life. God, we love you. Thank you for these things. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's start out in Genesis chapter 27, and uh, we'll cover the first 14 verses here in the first clip. It says, Now it came to pass, 
When Isaac was old and his eyes were so dim that he could not see, that he called Esau his older son and said to him, My son, and he answered him, Here I am. And then he said, Behold, now I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now, therefore, please take your weapons, your quiver and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me, and make me savory food such as I love, and bring it for me that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. Now, Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to Esau's son, and Esau went to the field to hunt game and to bring it. So Rebekah spoke to Jacob, her son, saying, Indeed, I heard your father speak to Esau, your brother, saying, Bring me game and make me savory food for me, that I may eat it and bless you in the presence of the Lord before my death. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice according to what I command you. Go now to the flock and bring, from, bring me from there two choice kids of the goats, and I will make savory food from them for your father, such as he loves. Then you shall take it to your father, and he may eat it, and that he may bless you before his death. And Jacob said to Rebekah his mother, Look, Esau my brother is a hairy man, and I am a smooth-skinned man. Perhaps my father will feel me, and I shall seem to be a deceiver to him, and I shall bring a curse on myself, and not a blessing. But his mother said to him, Let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice, and go, and get them for me. And he went and got them, and brought them to his mother. And his mother made savory food, such as his father loved. As we get into it this morning, we see that Isaac was old, and that his vision was going. Um, you know, whether he was getting cataracts or glaucoma or whatever the case may be, but he was pretty much blind, as we will see in this story, that uh, they try and deceive him, and it's all based on the fact that he can't see. Uh, and how important our sight is to us. I don't, I've pretended in some form to like close my eyes and try and imagine what it's like to be blind, and I can't imagine having to use a public restroom or even just go about day-to-day -day life, how hard that would be. Uh, and how much trust you would have to place in those around you when you can't see anymore, just to help you do everyday things, especially when you're old. And it's interesting that Isaac says that, uh, I'm old and I do not know the day of my death. He is saying a truth here. He doesn't know when he's going to die, but he thinks that he's about to die. But apparently, from uh, what uh, the commentary says, uh, Martin Luther calculated Isaac age here to be 137 but he lived to be 180. So there's still 43 years left in Isaac's life, even though he's blind pretty much and on his bed. He goes, I'm old, Esau. I, I don't know when I'm going to die. And yet he still had 43 more years left to go. And isn't that like us when life gets us down, when we're starting to feel the aches and pains, and we go, man, I'm going to die any day now. But nope, you're not even 40 yet, Tim. You're not going to die yet. But that's just the way it feels sometimes. We see here that Isaac and Rebekah are both still very carnal. They both had spiritual desires and beliefs. They wanted their children to receive a blessing, an inheritance. They believed in these things. They understood that the Lord was the caretaker and the promiser. But they carried out their lives in and by the flesh. Isaac here, uh, sorry, Jacob here is trying to, I'm sorry, I always get confused. Jake, Isaac here is trying to bless his son Esau on the down low, and Rebecca is listening in and trying to make sure that her favorite son gets the blessing, even though that we know that the blessing is on him. They valued fleshly power. You know, uh, Isaac loved that Esau was a man of the field. He elevated 
that manliness and these qualities that can be good, but we also see that can be kind of meatheadish, where it kind of gets the best of him. He doesn't have a balanced view on life. They both had grief of mind when their son Esau brought home worldly wives. And yet these people are still very fleshly. Remember that Lot grieved, was grieved by the sin around him, I believe it tells us in Hebrews. But his life was dominated by the flesh. He lived in Sodom and Gomorrah. He was in the city gates. The people knew him. His family was totally carnal. And he was willing to do carnal things to try and save these angels. And he was only, you know, saved by the hair on his chinny-chin-chin there. It's interesting that uh, his mom makes the food. Uh, they, they bring in all this food for him. Uh, that she commands him to go out into the field and to, to go get the kids of the goats. Um, as, she heard, as she hears this, um, you know, but this is what Isaac wanted. Isaac wanted this, uh, this meal. He wanted the savory food uh, that his son made. You know, he liked a good barbecue. I, you know, I remember living in the apartment and uh, my friend the landlord was out in the middle of the night smoking meats. And I woke up to the smell of smoke. I'm like, is the house on fire? And then I realized it smelled like barbecue. I went out back. It was 3 in the morning. He's out cooking there. And I just think Isaac's laying in bed. Just, oh, I just really want a good rack of ribs. And no one makes it like my boy Esau. So let me. I'm going to die. I want my last meal. And I'm going to have this meal and die and bless him. And he's got 43 years left to go. <laughs> he wasn't as sick as he thought he was. Uh, but as Rebecca listened... She heard this, and quickly she put a plan together. She said, go get some animals real quick. We'll cut them up. We'll make the meal. Uh, we'll deal with it, and we'll take care of it. Um, uh, you know, and I think that that's interesting, that she's really the mastermind uh, behind what's going on here. Uh, that, that she, uh, my notes are a little out of order, so I'm kind of stumbling, but uh, that she was kind of getting this whole thing going. That he wanted this meal, and yet, as Esau runs out, she knows about how long it takes for him to go, that they have time, but they don't really have that much time. So they actually, you know, it's not like she goes in the fridge and has some chicken defrosted already. She has to get these animals. They have to slaughter them, skin them, prepare them. It's going to take a little bit of time. But that she's, she knows exactly what her husband likes. She knows what he wants to eat. She knows how to make the savory meal like Esau does. And uh, they're convinced that Isaac is not going to be able to taste the difference here. And Isaac is not going to know the difference. You know, perhaps he was old again and he couldn't taste well. Perhaps Esau wasn't the best cook. Or perhaps Esau wasn't really the one who always cooked, you know. Uh, I know my cooking skills are not that good and they'd be easily replicable. You know, I can grill out a little bit, but I really don't have much skill. So if this was the case and I was Esau, it would be easy for my mom to replicate what I wanted to cook. But I think that Isaac was just more enthralled in the ways of his son than uh, the thought of this food uh, than the actual taste or the flavor of it, if you couldn't tell the difference between what his, his son went out and cooked and some goat <laughs> that his wife prepared. Uh, you think of home cooking and comfort food, a lot of it is really just this whole mental perception and the comfort it brings of having things that you had growing up. Um, and again, you know, a way to a man's heart through his stomach, and Rebecca knew that right well. But it's interesting that uh, Jacob's concern in verse 12, is that he's going to seem like a deceiver to his dad. That he's going to get found out, and that his dad is going to think of him as a liar. You know, he's concerned about lying. He's willing to go through with it, but he's more concerned about getting caught. And isn't that the flesh? That the flesh wants to do what it wants to do, 
but it just doesn't want to get caught. I mean, how many people get caught and they're sorry just because they got caught? They're not sorry because they're actually sorry. They're sorry because they got in trouble. But his mom comforts him with her words and promise. Let your curse be upon me. Don't worry about it, son. And isn't that Jacob's got a little bit of a conscience going on, even though it's a twisted conscience. And his mom steps in. The mom he trusts. She quenches his conscience and he's able to go in with the seared conscience. And how important it is as parents that we don't sear the consciences of our kids. When they come and ask us about God, we tell them. When they come and have a problem or they learn something in school or on TV, we give them the truth. We don't just say, no, no, it's okay. Go ahead. I'll worry about it. And isn't that like us parents sometimes in a bad way to want to take our children's curse upon us? We say, oh, I'm not, I don't want to discipline him. I'll just, I'll just deal with it. I'll deal with it. I'll pick up the mess. No, no, no. You need to learn to have your kids pick up your mess. See, my parents picked up a lot of my messes as a kid, and they were good parents, but I really could have learned to pick up my mess a lot earlier. I wasn't until my 20s when I learned to clean my room. <laughs> That's pretty sad. I used to clean it, but it would be clean for a day, and then it would be a messy for three months. But the point is, is that, you know, we sit, she says, let your curse be upon me, but as we read and we find out later that the curse doesn't really end up on her. Uh, she doesn't take the brunt of Esau's rage later on. What she says to quell them doesn't really happen in his life. He listens to her word, thinks that she'll handle it when, it when it falls apart, but really he's the sufferer in the end. And again, I wonder, maybe Rebecca was always the cook. We see Esau does cook later on. Uh, but again, maybe she could easily have made what, uh, what he was making. And again, I think a good point that the commentary brings up is that her good intentions did not justify their self-centered approach. That just because she wanted a good blessing for her son, she knew that the blessing was upon the son, that making it happen in the flesh was not the right way to make it come about. And I don't know what would happen if they didn't do this. But I know that God had a plan. God used this, but I know that if God's plan and purpose was for him to get a blessing and then have it on his life, it would have come about no matter what his son Isaac, I mean what his dad Isaac said. Just because we say things and we believe things and we want to put a blessing on one kid or another, it doesn't change the fact um, where God's blessing rests. Remember when after Judas had killed himself and they were down a disciple before the day of Pentecost, uh, they wanted to nominate someone else. And they nominated this guy Matthias by flushy away, by drawing straws. I mean, I'm sure this guy loved the Lord. I'm sure God used him. But we can see that he was not the Apostle Paul. God went out and had another person that he intended. Saul, the least likely of them all, the murderer that ended up penning all the New Testament, spreading the gospel. Um, you know, so our fleshly, our fleshly good intentions uh, are not going to make up for the ways of the Spirit and the will of God. Let's go on, 15 through 23. And says, Then Rebekah took the choice clothes of her elder son Esau, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And she put the skins of the kids of the goats on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. Then she gave the savory food and the bread which she had prepared into the hand of her son Jacob. So he went to his father and said, My father. And he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? And Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done just as you told me. Please arise, sit, and eat of my game, that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, How is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? And he said, Because the Lord your God brought it to me. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Please come near, that I may feel you, my son, whether you are really my son Esau or not. 
So Jacob went near Isaac his father, and he felt them and said, The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize them, because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. And so he blessed him. We'll stop there. Why did Rebekah have his choice clothes in the house? Was Esau 40-something, married with two women, still having his mommy do his laundry? I don't know how this family situation works, and I'm definitely going out on a limb here, but I still wonder what this family dynamic was. I feel like there wasn't a lot of maturity, there was a lot of conniving, and just a lot of confusion and, and, and disorder in this house. Um, but she used the skins of the animals they prepared for dinner, that this plan she had concocted was well thought out. We need to be hairy, we need to have food, we've got everything we need. I've got his clothes in the house. Um, so let's go here. Let's play a little dress up here. Uh, Jacob. But again, Rebecca really, I believe, is the mastermind here. Jacob ends up being a puppet. He's willing to go along with it. As we see, his deception is complete. He lies to his dad. He lies to him several times. He dresses up. He deceives him. It's this whole plan. It's not just a little quote-unquote white lie. It is a full-on deceptive plan that he carries out. But his mom came up with it. He didn't come up with it. And if she came up with this, this plan, this good, this quick, she knew how to be deceptive. Whether she was thinking about this for a while and was premeditated or, you know, she just, you know, you don't get good at lying by lying once. You get good at lying by lying over and over and over again. As with anything, it takes practice. Uh, but some people are just genuinely more deceptive than others. And in verse 18, it doesn't really say that he disguised his voice, but I have to imagine he tried. He's trying to be deceptive. He's not just going to waltz in there. So he goes, oh, I'm your son, Esau, trying to act all different. But right away, Isaac was suspicious. Even laying there and not being able to see, he hears this voice. He goes, who are you, my son? You know, you know the word Ben, the word, that whole sentence is just Ben. It just means son, sort of. Son? Esau? Really? Son? And man, uh, this is tragic. Old man on his bed, can't see, hungry, <laughs> waiting, trying to do something a little slyly, but here comes his other son doing something sly to him. They're all kind of being shady here. But Jacob ends up fulfilling his namesake here. The culmination of all those years, all those desires and fleshly actions by his mom, his dad, him and his brother are coming to a head here. It's totally the deceptor. He's covered in deception at this point. Isaac doubts him right away. It's been only been two hours or however long it was. How are you, how are you back yet? It takes you that long to get to the field. How did you find something, get it back, prepare it, skin it, cook it, bring it here? At this point, Jacob, maybe in a moment of panic, and he goes right to the God card. He goes right to the ultimate way to try and block off the deception of his dad or the doubts of his dad. And he takes God's name in vain. And he says, because the Lord your God brought it to me in vain. The Lord your God, not the Lord his God. The Lord your God brought it to me. He's in there. He's lying. He's lied physically. He's lied emotionally. And now he's lying spiritually. He's saying... Your God brought it to me. And it's one thing to tell a lie, but it's a completely different thing to use not 
God's name in vain to try and gain and get a blessing in life. And I got this letter this week, and I knew I got it for a reason. But on the front, it says, God's Holy Spirit instructed us to loan you this, to start turning things around for you, underline, underline. So here it is. Use it and be blessed. And you flip it over. Dear God, it's got this prayer on the back. I'm not even going to read it because it's so ridiculous. Big website, some church in Oklahoma. May it burn to the ground (laughs) without people in it. But it says, with God, all things are possible. And you're supposed to return this letter. And it's this whole big promise of blessing. And this really funky looking picture. It says, holy, blessed, powerful, prosperous, biblical handkerchief. God's help has come to your door. Will you let God help you? You know, it says helped, prospering, people praying and happy and pictures of Jesus. Like this letter is an omen of blessing. And yet I feel like it's clothed in goat skin. It feels gross and disgusting. Read what's happening as people use a spiritual, physical, financial, biblical, faith, prosperity, handkerchief. You know, they sent out this letter to people who are in need. Not people like me are going to get it and realize how silly it is. But on the back it says, more happiness, healings, money in the bank, home of their own, new cars. It's all about health, wealth, and prosperity. And it says, this ministry was established in 1951. That it's been around for this long. They're even taking this verse I have on the wall, Jeremiah 29, 11, and using it in vain. And you know why they've been around this long? Because people send them money. And you know why they keep sending this out? Because it works. Because someone who's at home, probably old, probably sick, probably poor, probably desiring all these things, has a little bit of knowledge about God's word and thinks, oh man, this is what I have been praying for. Let me just, I'll just sow a seed of faith. I'll put a little bit of money that I have. I don't have much, kind of like trying to play the spiritual lotto with this prayer handkerchief that's printed on a piece of paper. I don't even want to tell you what I want to do with this piece of paper. This is garbage. This is deception. But it works. These people are praying on helpless people with God's word in vain. And believe me, if I get fired up about it, you know God is fired up about it. And if they don't repent, there's a special punishment for them because you don't hurt God's people. You don't take advantage of the poor and the sick and the lame like that, especially with God's word. It's one, it's one way to pull up and be a Dr. Phil or an Oprah and promise them a new car under the chair and get their affection. But another thing to try and use God's name that you might line your pocket with money. It's a good thing they're in Oklahoma and they're not down the street, but I'm sure there are those in this corner. So if you get a letter like that in the mail, burn it. Use it as uh, tinder for your fire because that's all they're going to be uh, without repentance. <laughs> All right, <laughs> I'm ready to get in the car and go for a drive. Uh, but basically, like these people, Jacob here was in total disregard for all things holy. Why? That he might receive a blessing from his father. He might receive financial gain. He might have a blessed health, wealth, and prosperity life. And God had more for that for him. And that's not going to come about by the flesh. These things, it's not going to happen that way. God might bless the person. If there's an old lady who gives her $10 Social Security check to these criminals. I, I wouldn't be put it past God to bless her and care for her in some way as she tried to reach out in faith, even though it was erroneous. But these people, I guarantee you, their their pockets are going to rot. I need to get off this because it's making me angry. I think about something. And I'm making so angry. Lord, deal with it, God, as you can. But as we see here, even with this, real deception has its roots in the Word of God. 
What happened in the Garden of Eden? Satan came up. Did God really say? Like scripture all over his letter, and that's it. And the real deception is takes God's word and it twists it. And in order to get away from that, we must have a firm grasp on the word of God. When we hear that voice speaking to us, God, is that you? We can be sure if it's God or not by the word of God. How did this happen so quickly? Is it really God? Or is it some shady salesman coming to your door? <laughs> or some shady cult leader coming to your door? We must have a firm grasp on the word of God. And we must live in the power of the Holy Spirit to have any chance against deception. Because if we just have the Holy Spirit, we might have an inkling. Is that you? Is that really you, Esau? You might have an inkling that it's not him. But if we don't have the firm word of God... We're not going to be able to have true uh, uh, discernment there and be able to discern. We'll say, oh, it, they're talking about God. It must be God. It must be good. In the same sense, we, if we know all the word of God, but we don't have his spirit, we're going to misuse it. These people know the scripture, apparently, but they have no idea what it means. And they abuse people with it. They beat people with it. They deceive people with it for their own gain. And they probably even think that they're doing a good thing, that God is blessing them. I've got all this health wealth. God has blessed my ministry. It's big. It's been around for 67 years. But God's not in it. There's a God in it, but it's not the God of heaven. You know, and others know just a little bit about the word of God, and they use it as an excuse for their lifestyle. Well, the Bible says don't judge, right? Well, yeah, it does, but what it's talking about is two types of judgment. There's a type of judgment to condemnation, to where a judge would say at the final day, here's your death penalty. And then there's also a judgment of discernment, a judgment of right and wrong, determining what's, what's good and wrong, good and bad. And we're to determine that, that one about what's right and wrong. But we're not to deliver it with a message of eternal condemnation, where this person has no hope. We might say, you continue in this lifestyle, it's going to lead to death and you're going to go to hell. But we're not going to say, you in this lifestyle, you're going to hell. There's no hope for you. There's a total difference there. One is love and one is not. And if we know the word and we have this spirit, we'll be sensitive to those things and able to, to dish them out properly. Jesus said in John 8, 31 and 32, to those Jews who believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. You want to be free? The Jews wanted to be free from oppression? Well, the real oppression is sin, and the way to be free of it is from knowing Jesus and his word. Not just knowing his word. Many people come to him in the last day and say, Lord, Lord, didn't we send out letters in your name? Didn't we cast out demons in your name? God say, depart from me, you evil, wicked servant. I never knew you. If we don't know God, we won't really know his word. If we don't really know his word, we won't really know who God is. And it's very dangerous. And the enemy loves to use a little bit of the word to get people away. Use a little voice, use a little goat skin, use a little whatever it is, and people fall for it, left and right, because we neglect the word of God. We see here that Isaac still doesn't really believe what's going on. You know, he's, he's old, but he's not dumb. He's deceived and being deceived. And that's what deception is. You can be the smartest person in the world, have the most degrees, have the most understanding of things, but still easily be deceived by spiritual things if we're open to it. 
And man, people are so open to deception these days. The drugs that they take that open up their minds to these things, uh, the Bible clearly talks about. Uh, have an open mind. No, I don't want an open mind. I want an open heart to the Word of God. And then my mind will be in the right place to realize I don't want to be open to that. We can't be open to everything. It doesn't mean we hate people and, and hurt people. But I don't have to like what you're doing. I don't have to have an open mind to it. Because if I open my mind to it, man... It's going to get in, and I don't want that in my life. Even if he was disguising his voice, uh, Isaac knew it was Jacob. You, you just know the voice. You know, I call my mom. Sometimes she's not sure if it's me or my brother. And, and I hear similarity in my voice from my brother and I, but it's not the same voice. I think he's got a better voice than me. Uh, but perhaps next time I call her, I'll trick her. Say, hey, Mom, it's Thomas, your favorite son. <laughs> kidding again. Uh, my mom loves us. She's great. But uh, sincerely here, it was the hairy hands that convinced uh, Isaac. Didn't believe the voice. Didn't understand the timeline, how the food was, was there. So he comes close and he touches his hand and these hands that were covered in these crudely made gloves of goat hair and skin. Uh, you know, they could have been made that, that well. It was very quick. And I don't think they were that convincing. I mean, have you ever pet a goat? It doesn't feel like anybody's hand I've ever shook, and their hair it definitely feels like animal's hair. Um, but somehow this dead goat skin with the coarse goat hair convinced Isaac that it was son Esau. And I'm not one to get a manny or petty, but if someone gives you a goat handshake and they think that it's you, I think you need one. Go, go wash your hands, go clip your nails, because you feel like a goat. But this convinced him. This convinced him. And Isaac was falling for this pretty obvious ruse, I believe because he was living in the shadow of his own deceit. He didn't think anyone knew about the secret plan to bless Esau this day. It was just him and his son. He didn't know Rebecca heard about it. So how could it not be Esau? You know, his own deceit began to cover him in. Isn't that like us when we begin to tell lies or live a, a way of life? We get paranoid or we get to be a place where we're easily swayed. And that's the world, man. The world is, is so involved in sin that any other sin or deception comes along, they easily go along with it. Even if they question it, even if it doesn't make sense, they still go like sheep to the slaughter because they're so caught up in it in their lifestyle. And the rest of us who have been caught up in the Word of God and look forward to being caught up in the rapture, go, how can you believe that? How can you buy that? How can you vote for that? Like, isn't it obvious that this is a way of the world? But if we're caught up in, in deceit, we don't know. And that's the saddest part about deception, is that when you're deceived, you don't know it. Eve didn't know it. The talking snake. She still bit into it and offered it to others. But verse 23 says, So he blessed him. The boxes were checked. It seemed like it was Esau, but it was only barely so. You think that if he had a, a, a smidgen of wisdom, he would wait for another day and say, oh, let's just do it another day. Let's get the whole family together and I'll bless you then. Because if he got the whole family together, it would be really easy to tell which one was Esau and which one was Jacob. There would be no deception then. And that's like sin. It wants to keep us in the dark, wants to keep us alone, wants us to keep us away from the truth and the light and others so that we can stay deceived. Get out in the light. And why would Isaac bless Esau in private, in secret, in the first place? Why wouldn't he have told Rebekah, Rebekah, today's the day. I'm going to bless Esau, our firstborn. 
or Jacob, I think, because he knew. There was a deep divide in his family. There was contention, perhaps. Even if it was just under the surface, just like Jacob's hand was just under the surface of this goatskin, this family was not acting like a family of faith, but certainly a family of the flesh. Verse 24, it says, Then he said, Are you really my son Esau? And Jacob said to him, I am. And Isaac said, Bring it near to me, and I will eat of my son's game, so that my soul may bless you. So he brought it near to him, and he ate, and he brought him wine, and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, Come near now and kiss me, my son. And he came near and kissed him. And he smelled the smell of his clothing, and he blessed him and said, Surely the smell of my son is like the smell of the field, which the Lord is blessed. Therefore, may God give you of the dew of heaven and the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be master over your brethren and let your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be those who bless you. It's interesting that he comes close with a kiss. Remember Judas when he betrayed Jesus. The soldiers, he came and he signified it with a kiss on the cheek, right? So we see that Isaac is still not convinced, but he's still open to the deception. And you have doubts, guys. Uh, there's an old saying, I think Pastor Chuck used to say it, when in doubt, throw it out. You know, that's a great way to clean up your house. You don't need that Netflix special. You just when in doubt, just chuck it. <laughs> what is this? What, what do I use it for? Throw it out. Deception is powerful, and it usually gains a foothold. Why? Because we give ourselves over to it. I don't think it just comes in and blam, we're you know, deceived, like being hypnotized, oh, and we go away. I think we allow ourselves to be deceived because we want to believe these things because of the desires in our heart, even though nothing is adding up. I want to believe this relationship's going to work, even though they're cheating on you, they lie to you, there's things that don't add up. They don't tell you things. They don't show you things. Your friends are telling you. But I just want this to work out so bad. That's deception. And that's the difference between deception and faith. Faith has real evidence. It may not have come to pass yet, but you have the real evidence of God's word. You see that the things in the world are clearly seen. Creation is clearly giving testimony to God. And it makes absolute sense that God created the world in six days. On the seventh, he rested. It makes absolute sense. If you look at the oldest desert on the earth, the oldest coral reef, the oldest forest, they all line up with the flood timeline in the Bible. The Bible has been proven true throughout history. So we can trust it. My faith is not built on nothing like people think it is. Like it's a jump off of some diving board into nothingness and obligatory and deception. And it's not. I believe the Bible because the Bible is true, because the Bible has come true, because the evidence of Jesus is real. But deception, on the other hand, tends to have weak or no evidence and tells us what we want to hear, while faith doesn't always tell us what we want to hear. Faith always says you have to wait. Deception says, no, get it now. Faith says, you're probably going to have to change or your life is going to change and it might be hard. Deception says, you don't have to change. They're the ones who have to change. There's nothing wrong with you. They have something wrong with them because they're telling you there's something wrong with you. Tells us what we want to hear, just like the enemy, that we might be taken out by a hook in the jaw by it. So Isaac ate and drank but first before the blessing. You'd think they'd want to eat together, have a feast, 
But again, I think it's just this whole fleshly thing. He wants his meal. Uh, nope, you know, Isaac is hungry. They're not going to have this celebratory meal together. Let me eat first, son, and then I'll bless you. He gives him one last checkup. Yep, smells like Esau. You know, everyone has their own smell. I have this friend who was a worship pastor and he used to tell me about kids having their own smell. And I said, bro, I'm flagging you. Stay away from my kids. It's a joke. But sincerely, all our kids have different smells. I remember even growing up, going to my brother's room and had a smell to it. Just smelled like my brother. And I'm sure my pillows and my blankets and my clothes smell like me. Um, to the chagrin of probably my family. But he says he has a smell of a feel that the Lord is blessed. And it is true. You know, there's nothing like the smell of the outdoors on a nice day. Uh, you know, we still have a lot of snow, but it, it still smells fresh. I'm sure his clothes didn't smell fresh. They didn't have Tide. Uh, you know, they didn't have Right Guard deodorant. I don't think his clothes smelled so much like a field that the Lord is blessed. I think his clothes probably smelled like B.O. But he prays that he would have health, wealth, and prosperity, plenty of food and wine. He prays that nations would serve you, that you'd be a master over your brothers. And that your mother's sons would bow down to you. It's interesting. It's an interesting blessing. I can't imagine my parents calling me together and saying to my brother Thomas, may your brother and sister bow down to you, Thomas. May you be a master over them. I'd say, excuse me? <laughs> I love my brother and I respect him and I respect my sister and love her. But I don't imagine that being the kind of blessing that we'd all want to be a part of where we're basically becoming the master there, uh, the slave to the master. Again, I think this is in some way showing the favoritism. But you know, God was still using it. God was going to use it. Ultimately, this would be for the Messiah and for the nation of Israel, that others would bow down to them. Remember Joseph's uh, dreams. And ultimately, Jesus. The 12 nations, the 12 tribes bow down to him. He is, he is the favored son. He is the Messiah. He says in verse 29, Cursed be everyone who curses you, and blessed be everyone who blesses you. Man, isn't that true? I think even till today, I believe it's still in effect for those who bless and curse Israel to this day. God's promises are not done with Israel. I believe as America, we're blessed in part because of our care for Israel. In World War II, I know we had other motives, but we went in and ultimately the Jews were freed from, from being murdered by the Nazi uh, regime. However, in the past decade, that care has waned considerably. We see if you read the news, there's all sorts of anti-Semitism, all sorts of even Islamic and Muslim people coming into office who have these openly anti-Semitic things and nothing's being done without them. And yet, if, you, if it was reversed, something would be done about them. They'd be blamed, uh, you know, told to step out of office or kicked off of their social media. And Nazi Germany was downright evil, but I believe what really sealed their fate was their desire, this total desire and deception of the perfect race because we're all one race, but their persecution of the Jewish people, their intense focus of hatred on God's people was their downfall. It led them to do things that they wouldn't have done, this deception that was through Hitler and through, obviously, I believe, Satan on this people just to do these crazy things and thinking that they were going to take over the world and they were, they were, they were defeated. It took a lot, but they were defeated. I know they were defeated because God allowed them to be defeated. Romans 11, 17-18, Paul says, And if some of the branches were broken off, and you being a wild olive tree were grafted in among them, that's the Jews, and with them became a partaker of the root and fatness of the olive trees, the nation of Israel, do not boast against the branches. But if you boast, remember that you do not support the root, but that the root supports you, that we as believers are grafted in 
to uh, God's people through Jesus. And those who didn't believe were the ones who are cut off, that we, in a sense, we don't replace them, but we have a place in the tree that they've given up, that they can have back at any time. I believe the same will go to those who persecute Christians. Those who bless you and I as believers will be blessed. I've seen it. Those who curse you and I as believers will be cursed. And I believe that ideologies like communism or atheism or things of that nature, their end will be in large part because the denying of God and the persecuting of his people in favor of their own religion of government and of self. And all this political correctness is going to end one day because of that. You can't snuff out the word of God and his people forever. Now it happened, verse 30, as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, and Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of his father, that Esau, his brother, came in from his hunting. He also had made savory food and brought it to his father and said to his father, Let my father arise and eat his son's game, that your soul may bless me. And his father Isaac said to him, Who are you? And so he said, I am your son, your firstborn, Esau. And Isaac trembled exceedingly and said, Who? Where's the one who hunted game and brought it to me? I ate all of it before you came, and I blessed him. And indeed, he shall be blessed. And when Esau heard the words of his father, he cried with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me also, O my father. But he said, Your brother came with deceit and has taken away your blessing. And Esau said, Is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has supplanted me these two times. He took away my birthright. And now look, he has taken away my blessing. And he said, Have you not reserved a blessing for me? And Isaac answered and said to Esau, Indeed, I have made him your master, and all his brethren I have given to him as servants. With grain and wine I have sustained him. What shall I do now for you, my son? And Esau said to his father, Have you only one blessing, my father? Bless me, me also, O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and he wept. Imagine this big, manly man weeping. And Isaac, his father, answered and said, Behold, your dwelling shall be of the fatness of the earth and of dew of heaven from above. By your sword you shall live and, by, and you shall serve your brother. And it shall come to pass when you become restless that you shall break his yoke from your neck. And so Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing which his father had blessed him. And Esau said in his heart, The days of mourning for my father are at hand. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. The timing here is impeccable. Because it really didn't take Esau that long to find game and bring it home. And I think it's interesting, given what Jacob says about God blessing him in the field. So he did. He went out and got food, and he was back not too long. Even got it cooked. And it didn't take much longer than uh, the difference in time of uh, Isaac eating the meal. So it's a good thing that Rebecca said, go quickly. So otherwise, they would have come in at the same time. Uh, so he did. it didn't take up much longer there. And the fleshy ways of doing things usually end up this way. At least in my experience, I've seen that you rush in the flesh and finish what the flesh desires. And then it's just then you realize that the spiritual answer was right around the corner. Oh, I shouldn't have bought that. I should have waited one more day. Oh, I shouldn't have got involved in that. Oh, man. If I had just been a little patient, just prayed a little bit longer, I could have avoided falling into that temptation. I'm not saying that Esau was the intended spiritual blessing here. But what I'm saying is that the acts of the flesh always rush in to steal the spiritual with their deceit, that it's going to take care of your needs and get the blessing on your life. And it's always right before the answer of God comes. A lot of times we don't hear from God because we let the flesh dictate what we're listening to.
They say the same words to their dad, arise, eat. And I think of Peter and the New Testament in Acts 10. And a voice comes and says, rise, Peter, kill and eat. He goes, no way, I'm not going to eat that stuff. That's unholy. And God says about bringing the Gentiles into the faith, no, no, no. Don't call what I've called clean, unclean, Peter. Isaac trembles exceedingly. You know, this word speaks that's this crazy, overwhelming trembling. Think of this old man shaking. Uh, you know, I'd be afraid he's going to have a heart attack or something. Uh, this definitely was Esau. There's no doubt about it. His voice, situation, he had no doubts. He didn't say, come here. He didn't say, let me touch your hand. He didn't say, let me smell your clothes. He just, he knew it was his son. It was obvious now. The deception was over. And that's usually the case. They say hindsight is twenty twenty, And when we look back on life, we go, how was I foolish enough to get involved in that? It was so obvious, wasn't it? But not at the time. Not when deception is strong. And he says, so my blessed him, and indeed he shall be blessed. That was it. This blessing was final. There was no other inheritance to give him. He'd given him power. He'd given him wealth that he had. Um, but it wasn't on the person that they intended it. And verse 34, Esau cries and he weeps. And man, if he had just cried and weeped earlier over the protection of his birthright, over his spiritual state that first time, maybe this could have been avoided. And he was so concerned about the physical blessing now, he could care less about it a few chapters ago. That's the flesh, right? Cares about what it wants to, and then doesn't think about the consequence. You know, again, it was he lost it all for a bowl of vegetarian soup. It says, verse 35, Your brother has come with deceit and taken away your blessing. And John 10.10 10 says, The thief does not come except to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus says, I have come that they may have life, and they may have it more abundantly. You know that, man... The enemy always wants to steal your blessing, and the way he does it is by deceiving you. He's the deceiver. Verse 36, it says, Is he not rightly named Jacob? We named him Jacob. Is this not the case that he's a deceiver? Is this, this, he's just living up to his name, and you can see this anger and bitterness rising up in him. He said, Planted me those two times. He took me to that bowl of soup, and I was just hungry. And now he snuck in here again, and he took my, birth, he took my birthright and my blessing. And I think Isaac knew about the first thing that happened. Maybe that's why they were trying to do this sneakily, because he knew all these things happened. I'm not saying it was right, but his father doesn't go, what? He took your birthright? I think they had this, you know, this relationship where they talked about it. He says, he'll break you as yoke. You know, Esau, you know, you're not always going to be under your brother one day. That'll come to pass. But Esau now hated his brother Jacob. Absolutely hated him. The point of murder. Jesus said, if you've hated someone in your heart, you've committed murder, right? And these brothers, these twins, were completely divided to where one wanted to kill the other. One was going to steal everything from the other. They shared a womb, but the end of their ways was death. Proverbs 18, 19 says, A brother offended is harder to win than a strong city, and contentions are like the bars of a castle. Esau would want to wait till after his father has died again. He thinks that his dad is going to die any moment now. But they'll wait after the funeral. They have that period of mourning where they have the wailers and they make this big procession. And when that's over, I'm going to kill him. I'm premeditating right now for cold-blooded murder to kill my twin brother because of this. As soon as my dad's gone, that's it. And again, that probably wouldn't be something hard for him to do. Esau was a hunter, a mighty warrior. Uh, you know, maybe they had the same body type. I don't know. I'm being a little stereotypical, but Jacob was more a man of, around the house of cooking and of things of that nature. And it's interesting that despite Rebecca's promise to Jacob, your curse be upon me, 
This was his curse that Esau would hate him. And it wasn't on her. It was on him. Solely as a brother, even though his mom was the mastermind of it all. Even though his mom was doing it, Esau hated his brother. Hated him. Let's go on and finish up. 42. And the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah. So she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said to him, Surely your brother Esau comforts himself concerning you by intending to kill you. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice. Arise, flee to my brother Laban in Iran, and stay with him just a few days until your brother's fury turns away, until your brother's anger turns away from you, and he forgets what you have done to him. Then I will send and bring you from there. Why should I be read also of you both in one day? And Rebekah said to Isaac, I am weary of my life because of the daughters of Heth. If Jacob takes a wife of the daughters of Heth like these who are the daughters of the land, what good will my life be to me? It's interesting here that Rebekah was nowhere around. Someone else had to hear Esau's wailing and vowing and screaming and this outburst and this blessing uh, and his plan to kill his brother. And he was a servant and they went and told Rebekah. Maybe they were off somewhere getting rid of the evidence. You know, getting rid of the, the clothes they made out of the goatskin. And it says that it's interesting that Esau comforts himself with the thought of murder. That he's so raged, so upset, the only thing that gives him any peace is the thought of murdering his brother. And isn't like us when uh, we seek vengeance, it's the only thing that comforts us. And it shouldn't. Uh, you know, even people who are suicidal, the thought of suicide is a comfort to them, but it's not a comfort. It would destroy them, it would destroy their family, and it's deception. It's a deceiving thought that would, that would uh, make you think that or want to do that. Romans twelve nineteen quotes Deuteronomy 32, 35, and it says, Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And the Bible also says, uh, Be angry, but do not sin. Now, he was right to be angry. This was a bad situation, but to want to avenge it by murdering his brother far from far from good far from close but rebecca says to her son isaac again i'm sorry her son jacob can't let me keep doing that obey my voice she says it again obey my voice again wasn't this curse supposed to be on her but now jacob's got to be the one to do it again he's got to be the one to run away uh, shouldn't he have waited to run away during the time of mourning no, now he's got to run away. His dad could die. He might not see his dad again. We know that you know that the story plays out differently. But he's got to go away. Why now? You know, Isaac hadn't died. She says, stay with him a few days. She thinks that all of this is going to blow over in a few days. You go stay with Laban. Esau is going to forget what you did to him. You think that he's going to forget the birthright? This thing that you cared about so much, you don't think he cares about so much? And maybe this is just the way Esau was. Maybe he had a, a really awful temper all the time. And he would blow up, I'm going to kill you, Jacob! And then he would forget. I remember having friends growing up, and we would get in fights, and we wouldn't talk. And then like a week later, we would kind of walk around each other, like, hey, how's it going? And, you know, we'd be all okay again, because we totally forgot what we were mad about. And we'd be like, I don't even, do you remember? And like, I don't remember. All right, let's go. Let's go to the diner. <laughs> you know, like, this is what it is. Stay with him a few days. Turns out to be decades. Esau was an angry man, but he was not going to forget this. This was important to him, even if he didn't treat it like it was beforehand. And he would not cool down. And they certainly were wrapped up in the importance of this. And I think 
Rebecca was really deceived about how much this would affect their family. And again, I think in some way she's hoping Jacob's going to find a new wife now in Laban's land, and we know that he does. You know, she doesn't want him dating the kind of girls that Esau brought home with. But Jacob got the blessing. I think she's like, oh, Jacob got the blessing. Now let me get him a match. Run away, Laban's. Maybe you'll find a pretty girl out there. The controlling matchmaker mother, good desires, good intentions, but man, bad fleshly practice. And she, she's quite the emotional one too. I don't think Esau fell too far from his mother's tree. She goes, whoa, what would my life be to me now if he marries another woman that's like his brother? Oh, what is my life? Ah, worthless. I'd have failed as a mother if he marries the wrong girl. And again, that's probably a good thing to think about. Man, make sure that our kids marry the right people. But she does seem a bit overdramatic here. Uh, she's probably quite the dramatic lady. She had this whole deception going, and we know acting is all about deceiving and making people believe, right? And perhaps where Esau's extreme emotional outbursts come from, and maybe that's why she doesn't favor him. Maybe she sees too much of herself in him. Uh, maybe he was more like her than she wanted to admit. And as we close, the commentary says, In this tragic story, everyone lost. Each of the main characters, Isaac, Rebecca, Esau, and Jacob, schemed and maneuvered in human wisdom and energy, rejecting God's word and wisdom. God still accomplished his purpose, yet each of the participants suffered because they insisted on working against God's word and wisdom. Isn't that true? They all had their deception going on. They all had their planning and conniving and under the table and in the back door, and no one's going to hear about it. And it hurt them all. Just as when they should be coming together at the end of Isaac's life, the family blows up completely. What seems to be beyond repair. We'll see in the next chapter that it doesn't quite run away right away. But don't be deceived. Be submitted to the Word of God. Don't try and work things out in the flesh. Let God work them out. Let vengeance be His in a sense. Because they always end up in pain, death, murderous desire if we try and do it in our own flesh. Don't let the thought of death rush you to make decisions. Uh, YOLO, I only live once. I better do this now. I, you know, it may never happen again. It'll come around again. Seek the Lord for the answers and fulfillment you desire. If your family has been rocked by deceitfulness, know that God can heal it through prayer and truth. We'll see healing many chapters later of their family, but I know that there's been healing in my family and healing in a lot of other families that I've seen that have been rocked by deception and sin. That God will work in it. That the enemy deceives and the locust destroys, but God will bless and God can repair and God can rebuild because the Spirit is far more powerful than the flesh. Amen? God, I thank you for your grace and your word, and we thank you that your word is truth, and by it we can know you and be set free. So God, uh, would you help us be students of your word and be uh, lovers of you and your spirit. God, we might be full of you and not be taking deception. And the things that are deceiving us, God, let us uh, uh, call them for what they are and cast them away. And, and especially in our families' lives and those around us, God, would you break the deception? Would you let your word go forth even from us to reach them and minister to them? And uh, God, bring uh, freedom in your spirit and by your spirit uh, and through your word. We love you, Lord. Have your way, we pray. Thank you, God. Come soon. In Jesus' name, amen.